Well, good morning, and welcome again. I'm Randy, and I want to just uh, commend you guys for being here. You know, they say across America that this is one of the least attended Sundays of the year because of the hour uh, delay uh, or uh, extra less, one less hour sleep you got. But you guys are up and at them, so that is awesome. Uh, I want to commend you, and uh, you look pretty uh, bright-eyed out there as well. Uh, first of all, I want to say we're so glad to partner with Christian Student Fellowship at UK campus. Uh, the, the college campus is one of the most important ministry fields out there, and uh, we, we're just really proud to partner with them, have for several years, and appreciate you all giving to help support what they're doing. And uh, we're also very concerned about our student ministry, and I have an awesome announcement to make today. Uh, that is that uh, we have hired a student minister. Uh, his name is, uh, yeah, we're excited about this guy. Um, his name is uh, Zachary Carmichael. Uh, we believe that God prepared him and brought him, uh, he and his wife, Allie, uh, to be with us. They're going to begin their ministry on April 1st. Uh, he's going to be here on uh, Sunday night, uh, March the 31st, for kind of a meet and greet with the students. But here's a solid young guy that loves the Lord, and uh, we just really uh, are proud of him and excited for him. So I wanted to announce that kind of up front and uh, begin to pray for uh, uh, their relocation here. They'll be here toward the end of the month. They're on a cruise right now, so, you know, it's hard to feel too bad for their situation, but anyway, we're happy for them. All right, uh, guys, we've been in a study now for a few weeks on the book of John, and we're going to continue that today. We're in John chapter 5 uh, for this study, and I want to kick it off by asking you a question that may uh, seem to be a little unrelated to that, but uh, how many of you would like to be debt-free, totally debt-free? You know, uh, you don't have to put your hands up. I already know. Uh, it's everybody in the room, right? You know, but for a lot of us, though, that question is kind of like, it's almost like a joke. Like, I can't even imagine uh, anything like that. I can't imagine, you know, not having credit card debts or car loans or a house mortgage and other commitments that we all have in life. But, but you know what? There are a lot of people in this room who are just like you who actually are debt-free. And uh, many of those people have done so through a ministry that we, are, uh, that we pre uh, present every year called Financial Peace University. And uh, in that, uh, that study, it's a nine-week study that helps you get your finances in order. But it starts with a question that's like the one I just asked you. How many of you would like to be debt-free? And we, all of us would say, yeah, we'd love to. But you know what? Many of us are not willing to do what it takes to get there, right? And the Financial Peace University has a real simple plan to do it, an emergency fund, live in a budget, uh, pay off your debt, don't incur any new debt, uh, drive an older car, live below your income, just some really basic principles of life to get there. And you know, you have to be serious about it. One of my favorite videos that they they show is the gazelle that's being chased by the leopard. And uh, Dave Ramsey says, you need to have gazelle intensity because you're running, you're running for your life. And when you have that kind of intensity, uh, you're going to be able to get what you want done. You're going to be able to escape that. So people have paid off tens of thousands of dollars in debt. People have been able to save an emergency fund, sold some things they didn't need, adjust their lifestyle, living in a different way. And it kind of begins once again with the question, would you like to be debt free? Because if you really, really want to do that, it is possible, but it takes some hard work. And if you don't really want to, then you're probably going to live like most of Americans live, struggling and, and challenged and anxious and worried about money. Well, I share that not because today we're talking about money at all, but because the question in our study is very similar. The guy we're going to talk to and talk about is kind of a guy in a rut. He's kind of in a bad place. And the question is, do you really want to get out of that? Do you want to get out of it? Which is a good question for all of us when we think about our own lives, not only in financially, physically, spiritually, whatever it may be, 
do we want to get any better? Let's read again. We're in John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Arabic, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, there's a really interesting story. What we find that John tells a lot of stories in his gospel, uh, but the stories kind of point us to the power of Jesus. It's not just, you know, an account of two people talking. There's some pretty cool things happening here. And in this story, uh, we're going to begin by looking at the condition of this man in the story. He'd been an invalid here for 38 years. That is a long time. And I was thinking that for many people in that day, that would almost be a lifetime. And it could be uh, his life expectancy, 38 years. We don't know if he'd been born that way or something had happened to get him that way, a disease or accident. But basically, this man was really, really handicapped. He was a paraplegic. He was unable to walk, couldn't move himself around. You know, in that day, being an invalid was horrible, as it is in any day, but it was probably worse. It was different. There were no wheelchairs. There was no ADA. Uh, there was no health insurance. Uh, there was no uh, disability, nothing like that. Unless someone carried you to place to place, you probably would drag yourself along the ground, dragging get to the place that you were going every day. And because of that, the man's health, obviously, is uh, he was probably dirty, his personal hygiene, his body was broken. You know, people kind of mocked him and, and rejected him in that, in that culture. But here was the strange thing, is that he had a common uh, thing he did every day, like a lot of other sick people and handicapped people, uh, he would either live at or make a daily trip to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, I've read this many, many times, and I always thought in my mind, you know what, this was probably like a, I don't know, a swimming pool or something, maybe just a little hole in the ground. But as I did some study, I realized that it's not like that at all. In fact, I think we've got a picture of what it might look like. It's been uh, excavated. That's a sizable place. It actually was two pools, kind of staggered levels, and they had the colonnade that went around them. And so what it does, it provided a place, a local location, for, for the handicapped people to, to de- come and stay. Perhaps they, I don't know if they live there or not, but it was a place for shelter out of the rain, out of the sun. And there was water there as well, which would help with their needs. Now, the name of Bethesda basically means the house of mercy or grace. Because it was provided for people, seemingly, who were handicapped or limited or poor. And they were able to come there. And uh, it also means a, a place of healing. The legend was that periodically an angel would come down and would stir the water up. And the first one in the pool would be healed. It's kind of an interesting legend. No evidence that it ever really happened, but that was kind of what people thought, is that there was healing to be had if you were the first person in. Now, I'm not sure it was a large, it was a large pool, so I'm not sure if anybody ever actually experienced that and proved that, but that was the goal and that was the hope. And so every day, this lame man would show up at the pool. Maybe it was desperation, maybe it was hope, maybe it was habit, we don't know, but he would be there, he would be there seemingly alone, We find he has no family, no friends to help him in any way. His situation is overall pretty hopeless. So that makes the question that Jesus asked him seem a little strange, doesn't it? 
Jesus came up to him and said, sir, do you want to get well? And, you know, you and I, in our sarcasm, might say, are you serious? No, I like it like this. I like crawling around on the dirt. You know, I like being dirty. I like being poor. I like being broken. I like suffering all the time. Nobody wants to live that way. And for us, it seems like kind of a ridiculous question, but it really was kind of a fair question if you think about it. Because you know what? For a lot of us, what has crippled us has become our way of life. Can I just repeat that? What has crippled us has become our way of life. Whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, whether it's the way we think about ourselves, what has crippled us has become our way of life. So much so that many times we don't really want to change it. If we did, we would. We could. It would take some sacrifice, some hard work maybe, but we choose not to change it. You know, you might think that every homeless person would love to have their own warm room, a good job, and a normal life. But unfortunately, we know that there are some people who choose not to do that. There are people who do cho choose a homeless life. There's no expectations, there's no job, there's no commitments, and this crippled them in many ways, but they can't seem to want to get off the streets. Some people who are in prison have been there for so long they can't imagine a life beyond that. It gives them security, and so and when they get a chance to get out, they don't want to, or if they're kicked out, they do something immediately to get put back in because they can't imagine not living like that with the security they have around them, the, the prison they put themselves in. Some people know they have extremely destructive habits in life, and while they'll acknowledge that, but they will not even consider quitting those habits because what is crippling them has also become their life. In fact, some of us, we find that our current dysfunctional life is a situation somehow is comforting to us or maybe we feel kind of threatened about change even if change might be for the better in our life we worry about things but we're not willing to make it any better or maybe the life that we live gets us attention and, and sympathy from people you know there's kind of a sickness you've probably heard of where a parent will project that a sickness onto their child so their child gets all this attention so they in turn get attention or there are people who claim to have uh, fake cancers and uh, to get support from people, money or attention or care from people. Or there are people who hurt themselves to get that kind of attention. It's a sick sort of thing, but it happens in reality. Now, I know personally a 30-something-year-old who lives in his parents' basement, you know, who watches porn all day, living on disability, and, and several people have tried to help him get his life together, but he doesn't want to lose the check. He doesn't want to lose the life. Something has crippled him, and it has become literally his life. You know, we can all kind of shake our heads at that, can't we? Because we can think of people that are, are stuck in situations that kind of refuse to do anything about it. And we kind of look down upon those people sometimes, kind of like they did that day of the people, uh, the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. But you know what? Maybe there's something in our own lives that's broken. Maybe there's a need in our lives that we need to look closer at and not project on others, but maybe we need God's healing touch in our life. You say you do, but how about trying just to step out with a little bit of faith and do that? Do you really want to be reconciled to a person, a family member that you're broken with? You, you say you'd like to do that, but do you really want to bad enough to forgive them or ask forgiveness? Do you, do you really want to save your marriage? You're not happy where you are. But do you want to put forth a little bit of effort maybe to make it better and be the bigger person in the situation? You know that gossiping is wrong, but do you, do you really want to stop gossiping if you just quit talking about people? Or maybe do you really want to end that addiction 
that you're struggling with today? Do you really want to give up the porn? You know how destructive it is? Are you willing to do that? Do you really want to get healthy? So maybe Jesus' question wasn't all that unusual to this guy by asking him, do you want to get well? The thing that had crippled him had become his life, just like the things that cripple us, patrol us, sometimes become our safety net, the thing around us. We may think we want to get better, but do we really have the courage and the willingness to do something about it? Instead, we find ourselves like this guy laying around the pool day in and day out, comfortable where we are, unhappy, but never quite making it into the water. Playing the victim can get really comfortable, can it? We all have been there. We, we know how to play people, and this guy, I think, was probably a master at it. So when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well, it was a pretty good question for this guy. It really was. Jesus knew his heart. He, he, you know, do you want to get out of this life you put, you've been thrust into? Now, what I find interesting is that the guy really didn't even give Jesus a, a yes or no answer. That seems like a cut and dry question, yes or no. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives Jesus an excuse, which is human nature all the way around, right? Jesus, well, I don't, uh, the man said, I don't have anybody to help me into the water. And before I can get in, somebody else does. How many of us give excuses for the situation that we find ourselves in? We don't like it. We think we'd like to be out of it, but we don't have the courage maybe to step up and maybe do a little bit of hard work. How difficult would it have been for this guy to have found someone that would have helped him perhaps get in maybe partner with someone else who was equally struggling maybe come alongside and say let's let's help each other i'll help you and then you help me and we'll, we'll get better together you know but it was too easy to make excuses kind of like this guy we uh, who neglected <coughs> and chooses ne neglects the work to do the to get better and resigns ourselves just to stay like we are so many of us find ourselves in that way you know i think at this point that jesus had a huge decision to make and you know what? Some of us can get really cynical about people in situations like this, can't we? I mean, if you walk up to a guy and, and know you have the power to help him and you ask him if he wants to get well, and he doesn't even tell you yes, a lot of us would probably turn and walk away, right? Because we're not going to make it worse. We're not going to enable this person. And Jesus has a tough decision to decide what's he going to do with this guy. Does he let the guy just wallow in his filth and his, his excuses, or does he heal the guy's body and hopefully uh, touch his heart, awaken something inside of him and his sense of purpose and give him a reason for living. And we kind of know what happens, right? Because Jesus isn't like us. And he's not going to leave people where they are. Jesus is a person of grace. He doesn't give him or us what we deserve. He actually heals the man. Let's pick it up in verse 8. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. And what's really interesting here is that in healings, Jesus normally would heal someone who had faith in his ability. How many times did Jesus say, your faith has made you whole, right? He would see someone, they would say, Jesus, you know, just, just please heal me. I know you can do that. And, and that seemed to be really simple because their faith would make them whole. In, in one case, at least we know about, there were four men who brought a, a friend to Jesus. Remember that story? They tore the roof open, dropped him down. And uh, we don't know about that guy's faith, but we know the other guys had faith in Jesus. And so Jesus healed him for their credit. But here's a situation that there's no evidence that this man had any faith at all. Nothing in the conversation makes us believe that he knew who Jesus was. In fact, later on, he said, I don't even know who the guy was that healed me. So I, and there was no faith real seemingly present in this at all. 
But Jesus seemed to do this to create faith in the man because of mercy, because of grace. Now we have to ask the question, did it work? Did this miracle work? Well, first of all, yes, it did work. The man got up and walked away. But also, did it create faith in his life? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus and that story uh, of John chapter 3. And we said, we're not sure what happened with Nicodemus, even though we're pretty confident he became a believer. Last week, we talked about the woman at the well. And we said, yes, she became a believer. She brought other people to come to Jesus. But what about this guy? Let's look what happened next. In verse 9, it says, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So we see the proof that he didn't even know who had healed him. Obviously, no faith in Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was, couldn't even identify the person, maybe began to describe him some way. Now, the other thing we see here is the cynicism of the religious leader of that day. We've been talking through this study about the Pharisees and how legalistic they were. And there's another situation where we see their legalism coming out because they're more concerned about him carrying his bedroll on the Sabbath, or which was their day of worship, than they were about the fact that he had been healed. They, didn't, they weren't you know, happy for him at all. They were angry at this man. And so to take out, you know, they took out their anger on him and accused him, but they also tried to find out who had told him to do that. And they suspected, I'm sure, that it might have been Jesus, but uh, uh, they were more concerned about their loss than they were about the man. So we go on a little bit further. In the next verse, it says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So he finally figures out who it is that's done it. But these words of Jesus are kind of interesting there. And where Jesus found him is interesting as well. Once more, Jesus runs into this man, not at the well, not at the uh, pool anymore, but now he's in the temple. And so that's interesting. Maybe he went there to thank God. Maybe he went there to worship. Maybe he went there to give uh, an offering of praise. Or maybe it was to be there to be declared healed by the priest. Many times in an illness like that, they would have to go and get the verification of the priest before they could re- re-enter society or uh, before they could really be cleaned. But anyway, whatever is going on, Jesus warns him at this point that if he doesn't stop sinning, that something worse than being lame could actually happen to him. Well, that's a really interesting challenge, isn't it? And it kind of makes us wonder uh, 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 in our hearts, could it have been something that he did wrong that made him handicapped to start with or maybe it was something that he was doing wrong that kept him from being made whole in his life which opens up a lot of questions about how God works in our life sometimes does God work like that does God punish us because of that the truth is that sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason in life we don't know why this guy was ill to be honest with you Jesus talks about that you know back in that day they thought if you were lame or blind or sick in some way that you must have done something wrong to deserve that if you uh, had lived a good life though you would probably have health and wealth you know that's not so different from how so many people think today right about God but Jesus didn't teach that in fact a little bit later fast forward to John chapter 9 another story of Jesus healing someone uh, let's read that as he went along he saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind 
And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. So Jesus said, it's not because of anyone's sin. The reason he was made blind at his birth was so that I could heal him today and God would get the glory. And so he healed the man. That's an incredible story. And it tells us that God can take the worst situations in life and God can do something special to bring it and use it for his glory. But having said that, it also doesn't mean that some of our illnesses, our suffering, isn't re uh, related to our behavior, to our own actions, and to our sins. For example, if you have an STD from sleeping around, it's because you were promiscuous. If you have uh, diabetes from, from obesity, it's because you're a glutton. If you have lung cancer from cigarettes, it's because you smoke. If your wife left you because you cheated on her, well, it's pretty obvious there. We do a lot of things in our life to cause our own misery and to make that happen right. And then a lot of times we turn that around and we blame it on God. We ask God, why did you let this happen when we're a direct cause of our own suffering? Several years ago, maybe you remember this, um, Princess Diane was killed in an accident, really serious accident. And about that time, Philip, uh, Philip Yancey was asked, by someone, why did God allow Princess Diana to be killed? Because the world loved Princess Diana, right? And, uh, and Philip Yancey's a Christian writer and, and speaker, and he said, God, wh why do you ask about God? Could it have been uh, something to do with a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour in a narrow tunnel? That's why Princess Diana got killed. How does this ha involve God at all? How, how was he involved in this situation? But so many of us are, are willing to thrust all the blame on God for making something happen or allowing something to happen when it's not God's fault. It's the decisions that we make a lot of times. So when Jesus sees the guy for the second time, he tells him, hey, buddy, you're not a victim. You're not a victim here. How you've lived your life has allowed you to either become handicapped or has kept you that way. And if you don't stop living that way, whatever his sin was, and we don't know what it was, something else could happen to you that's much, much worse. And so he calls on him to repent. And so what we see is a pattern of how Jesus treated people. He showed grace, but then he most of the time told them, okay, now go and sin no more. Which is what I would encourage you to see God speaking to you right now. When God would say to you, okay, you've made some mistakes. Maybe some of your suffering has been your fault. Maybe you have been crippled, and maybe you've chosen to live that way for some time. But today is a new day. Today is a day to change. Today is a day to repent and go and sin no more. And beyond that, we don't know anymore about this guy. You know, I choose to believe that this guy went on to become a follower of Jesus. I sure hope he did. God had, or Jesus had given him an incredible gift, a second chance at life. And I choose to believe that this guy became a follower who was a great advocate for Jesus. And the next time somebody said, who healed you? He would say it was Jesus. He was bold to say that. And the story is pretty fascinating, to be honest with you, but before we leave it, let's personalize it a little bit here. Let's personalize it. Maybe God is calling you to make a decision in life about something that you have control of. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial uh, situation. Uh, maybe it's a relational situ situation where you sit around and say, I wish things were better, but you do nothing to do make it better. Or maybe it's some lifestyle change that you know you need to make in order to become healthier or a, a better servant of Christ. Maybe God's calling you to do something. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I promise you that God is calling you to make a spiritual change. 
He's calling you to make a spiritual change, and that you can definitely control. Some things may be out of control in your life, but what you can control is your response to Jesus. We can't save ourselves, but we certainly can accept the one who gave his life to save us. He's calling you to make a change. Do you want to get well spiritually? Do you want to go to heaven? You know, many people act like they're concerned about their eternal future, but a lot of people are doing nothing at all to change it. We can sit around and be fearful or anxious or, or worried and think all the time, just focus on, you know, what, the, what our future might look like, especially death and, and beyond that. And for many of us, that becomes as far as we go. Maybe it's our own worry. Maybe it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. But year after year, some people just wait, just wait, just wait and do nothing at all. And so the question is really valid. Do you want to get well spiritually? Do you want to have peace in your heart? Do you want to really know that you have a relationship with God? Because to be honest with you, the choice is ours alone. We decide what our next step is. There's a Christian writer named C.S. Lewis. He's very, written a lot of books, but he wrote one, a small book called The Great Divorce. It's not about marriage, but it's a fictional account of, about a group of people who take a bus from hell to heaven, and they go up and they tour heaven, but here's the strange thing that nobody who goes wants to say. They all want to go back to hell because they don't want to get well. They don't want to stop the sin that they're in. They've chosen their identity and they refuse to change. And at the end of the book, Lewis explains it this way. He says, in the end, there are only two types of people. There are those who say to God, in this life, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Jesus spoke those words, didn't he? And he surrendered to the Lord's will. Thy will be done. And he said, the other group of people are the ones at the end of the day to whom God says, thy will be done. You choose what you will do. And so I'm going to leave you with a question this morning. Which of the two kinds of people will you choose to be? Will you be the person that says to God, God, I give up, I surrender, your will be done in my life? Or the kind to whom God reluctantly has to say, you've chosen for your will to be done. You make that decision. You know, I would love to have a conversation with you, and maybe God is prompting you. Maybe God's moving you, and, and you're wanting to know, what do I need to do? What is my first step or my next step on this journey as I try to move closer to God and closer to Christ. And I'd love to have that conversation with you. In just a few moments, I'm going to be down uh, here by the side as we uh, have our time of communion. I'd love to, to talk with you or pray with you about whatever's going on in your world and, uh, and maybe have that conversation. Tony will be over on this side and, and we'll be available for you to come and talk to us. While we're doing that, though, we want to make this a time of response for all of us. Because I think there ought to always be a response to the questions that God gives to us. And so one of the things that God has given to us, a blessing, a time for us weekly as a church to, to celebrate the death of Jesus and to thank him for what he's done for us. And so we're going to be doing that in our time of communion. And if you are a believer in Christ, we invite you to come and share with us. We have uh, the table is open. It's Christ's invitation to come to it. So uh, we invite you to come and share. And our tradition, the way that we do that is we just ask uh, in a few moments uh, after our prayer that you would just come up, up the side aisle to the table and those in the middle can circle back in and those on the outside can go around uh, to create uh, less confusion. So we invite you to come as we come and we celebrate the body of Christ which is broken for us, which is 
uh, demonstrated in the bread that we'll take, and then the body, the blood of Christ that was poured out for us, that's symbolized by the cup. And as you take, uh, we do this in remembrance of Christ, celebrating his death on the cross for us, and the life that we have in him. So would you pray with me as we go into that time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray your word has prompted us uh, to ask ourselves, what kind of person will I be? Uh, which will I choose? Because it is within our ability to choose that even today, Lord. God, we thank you for the life that we've been given. We thank you for the blessings that we had. And while we're not broken like this man lying there at the edge of the pool, we know that all of us are broken in other ways. God, we're all broken spiritually, and we need your help and your healing. And God, you long to give that to us, and you offer to that, us, that, us that through Jesus. So Lord, as we partake now, we pray you would draw us closer to you. Help us contemplate. Uh, Father, help us decide uh, if we will make a move closer to you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.